So today we begin part two of our series called Why. Why do we do the things that we do in the way that we do them? We're trying to explore the reasons behind the things we do to make sure that we have good reasons for what we do. Now, today we're going to look at this idea of why Jesus, why follow Jesus. And usually, a sermon is going to start with more of a why approach and end with a what approach, okay? So usually in a sermon, I would start with, here's the problem, here's the scripture that goes along with that, here's what that speaks into it, that's our why, that's our reason, that's our motivation, and then here's the what. Here's the application for you at the end. In this series, we're going to flip that model on its head. We're going to start with the what. We're going to start with what would normally be the application, and then we're going to work our way back to the why and go, why do we do the things that we do? And the reason that we're going to use that approach in this series is because so often for us, our why can become an afterthought. We just keep doing the things that we're doing over and over again, and eventually we lose sight of why we started doing it in the first place. Or maybe what we're doing no longer is the best way to accomplish the why that we have. See, the truth is that all of us are creatures of habit. And so it's very easy for us to go into autopilot. Do you know what autopilot is? How many of you have walked into a room, got into the middle of that room, and then looked around scanning the room trying to remember why you walked in there? Anyone? Just me? Okay, good. We're all together in that. That's called autopilot. For a Christian, autopilot is a really dangerous place to be because for a follower of Jesus, autopilot is when prayer becomes just a ritual that we do. It's when communion is just something we practice and we we lose sight of the significance to it. It's when outreach and evangelism becomes just checking a box if we do it at all. And so for a follower of Jesus, autopilot is actually a very dangerous place to be because we have lots of what's. There's lots of what's that we do. But if those what's aren't connected to a why, then where's the value in that? What's the point? If, if we're doing it just because and there's no why behind it, then isn't that just incredibly inauthentic? Where's the genuineness of that? And for that matter, if we're just doing it to do it because we've done it before, how do we know that what we're doing now is still accomplishing the why that we once had? So today we're asking the question, why follow Jesus? And those of you listening to me right now, you may approach this question from some different angles because some of you may be asking a question like this, why do I follow Jesus? Because you already do, but maybe you need to clarify some of the reasons for that. Some of you may be asking this question more like, why should I follow Jesus? Because maybe you don't right now, but you're wondering if you should. And there are probably some of you in this room right now who would ask the question, why would anyone follow Jesus? Maybe you're antagonistic to the whole idea. And hey, we're glad you're here. Welcome. My hope for all of us in this series is that no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, you will find some answers and clarity and maybe next steps through the course of this whole series. As we ask these why questions, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you will be challenged to think about the reasons for what you do and what you believe. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I hope that this will give you some things to think about and to wrestle with and ask the question, should I follow Jesus? If you're antagonistic to the whole idea, I hope that this series and this message in particular will bring some clarity around why we follow Jesus for you to consider it for yourself and know what that means. 
So we're going to start now with our what, our application, and then we will work our way back through to the why. First, let me just say this. What don't we mean by following Jesus? What don't we mean by following Jesus? Well, we don't mean using Jesus or Christian for business, political, or relational purposes. We do not mean by saying following Jesus that this is people who do it for business, political, or relational purposes. Let me give you some examples of that. I was once talking with a church. It was, it was one of the largest churches in their city. And the leaders of this church told me that most of the, uh, the uh, successful business people in their city went to that church so that they could look good and make connections with other business people. And so it was more of a business thing for them. It was a place to, to make deals and to launch into new connections with other business people. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about politicians that use the name of Jesus or Christian-sounding themes to try to attract a certain voter block so they can get more votes, even if their lifestyle and the way they communicate does not reflect the life of Jesus. We're not talking about people who act like they're a Christian so they can get close to and date someone who they think is a Christian. We're not talking about that. There are lots of people who claim the name of Jesus but don't actually follow him. Just because someone says they follow Jesus doesn't mean they actually do. And if they follow Jesus, their lifestyle, their actions, their words should on the whole, not all the time, we all make mistakes, but on the whole, reflect the life of Jesus. Jesus was loving. He was joyful. He was peaceful. He was patient, kind. He was good and faithful. He was gentle and self-controlled. And in Galatians, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in followers of Jesus, the fruit of being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what followers of Jesus should look like. Not that they'll do it perfectly all the time. But please hear me on this. If you are in the should or would category and you're wrestling with following Jesus, do not let people who claim to follow Jesus but whose life does not reflect that reality control your perspective of Jesus. Anyone can claim to follow something. That doesn't mean they actually do or do it well. Now, what do we mean by following Jesus? What do we mean? By following Jesus. I want to give you three quick things to remember. And you've got an area in your program with some note sections that you can write these down if you want to. Three things that will be like our application, the what of following Jesus. Number one, Jesus, following Jesus means giving up your life. To follow Jesus, what we mean by that part of it is giving up your life. Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. We've looked at this recently in a message. Then he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Following Jesus means considering our desires, our plans, our thoughts, our hopes, our wants, our stuff as secondary to Jesus. It means that Jesus comes first. Before the job, before the house, before the cars, before my hobbies, before my wife and kids, Jesus comes first in my life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's giving up your way, giving up your life to follow after him. Following Jesus, number two, means learning from and living like Jesus. Learning from and living like Jesus. John says this in 1 John, he says, those who say they live in God should live their lives 
as Jesus did. Those who say they live in God, those who are followers of God or followers of Jesus should live like Jesus did. This is the, the what of what we do. We live like Jesus. Jesus, when he's talking about followers, he, he all, often uses this term disciple. Be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. And the word disciple, it means learner or student, but it carries an idea that goes much deeper than that. See, a disciple in Jesus' day was not just someone who sat under someone's teaching. A disciple was someone who learned from their teaching and emulated their life so much so that they started to look like and reflect that person. Being a disciple of Jesus meant to learn from and live like Jesus, to follow in his steps, fairly literally, to follow him as a disciple. And so we need, if we're going to follow Jesus, the what of that is to learn about Jesus' life and learn what he taught in the Bible so that we can start to emulate that and practice that in our lives. How did Jesus respond to his enemies? How did Jesus handle marginalized people? What did he do there? How did Jesus handle children? What was his approach? In a culture that often treated women and children as less than, how did Jesus treat them? Should we emulate that? Was Jesus ever angry? Was there anything that was worth being angry over for Jesus? Did Jesus ever raise his voice? How did Jesus treat religious people who were very hypocritical? These are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking and learning from the Bible so that we can live like and learn from Jesus. Number three, following Jesus means sharing him with others. Following Jesus means sharing him with others. Here's what Jesus said to a group of fishermen that he was inviting to become his disciples. Here's how he cast the vision for them. Watch this. He says, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. These are fishermen, and he is now saying, I'm going to show you not how to get fish, but how to actually go get people. And what he means by that is what he talks about in what we call the Great Commission. Just before Jesus left this earth, he said, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to do everything I have commanded you. And what did he just teach them to do? To go and make disciples. Being a follower of Jesus means we become a recruiter for Jesus. It means we share him with others. We don't keep him to ourselves. That's what Jesus meant for his disciples to be, to show him and share him with others. Now think about this with me. A long time ago, someone somewhere shared the good news about Jesus with someone who believed it, trusted it, and then went and shared it with someone else who believed it, and they shared it with someone else who believed it, and the cycle continued and so on and so forth until one day, one of those people in that chain shared the good news about Jesus with you. It might have happened in a room like this. It might have happened at a camp. It may have happened when you were a child or when you were a teenager or when you were an adult. If you're a follower of Jesus, someone at some point shared the good news about Jesus with you in a long chain of people sharing the good news. Here is my question. Is that where the chain is supposed to end? No. Because Jesus said to follow him means to share him with others, to make disciples, to teach them to do everything he commanded them, which was to make disciples 
disciples. He said to follow me is to become a fisher of people, to go reach people. That's what Jesus taught his disciples to do, to minister to and serve other people and to bring them to Christ. So the what of following Jesus is this, giving up your life, learning from and living like Jesus and sharing him with others. And that's a great closing application. We could just leave it right there and say, let's just all go do those things and we'll be good. But that's not the point of this message. That's not the point of this series. We want to go back behind that. Why do we do these things? What's the why behind that? And for that matter, what's the how? How do we go about this? So we're going to work our way back through that. That was the what. Now the how. What is our approach to this? What is our methodology by which we live our lives so that we do these things? How we follow Jesus is by filtering everything we think, say, and do through God's Word, the Bible. That is how we follow Jesus. There are lots of different things that that fall under that whole category, but ultimately when you think about it, it is studying Jesus and His instructions and the instructions of His messengers in the Bible and saying, how do I apply that to my life? It means filtering everything we think, say, and do through God's Word. Jesus said it like this, if you love me, obey my commandments, right? John said in 1 John, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, or we could say follower of Jesus. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. This is what we're supposed to do. It's not just about that one time when you trusted in Jesus. It's about a lifestyle of following him, of obeying him. It's how we should approach our life. Loving God, he says, means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Paul writes about God's word, the Bible, this way. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the how of following Jesus means filtering everything we do through that that filter, through God's word. How do filters work? I've got a filter up here, and I've got some water. And this water could have come from a river, a stream, the Merrimack, the Mississippi, wherever, could be all kinds of viruses and microbes with it. I don't, I don't know where ultimately it came from. It doesn't smell very good, I'll tell you that much. This water could have all sorts of stuff in it that may not be good for me to drink, but what can I do with it? I can put it in the filter, and here's what happens. Little by little, that water goes through the filter, and all of the bad stuff gets trapped. It gets caught. And the only stuff that comes out at the bottom is the good stuff that was able to make its way through. That is how God's word should be to us. Like a filter, as Paul is talking about scripture, correcting us when we're wrong, teaching us what to do right, learning from that. God's word, the instructions of Jesus, the life of Jesus, his messengers and their instructions to us should be a filter to us so that we take captive, Paul says, every thought to obey Christ. We take it captive. It goes in, all of our thoughts go into that filter of God's word. The bad stuff gets caught and only what is good comes out. That's one way to think about God's word, the Bible. Now, here's the thing. A filter isn't very useful if it's still in its package. 
I have to actually open this up, take it out, and use it. Or else it doesn't do me any good to give me safe drinking water. And God's word isn't very useful to us if it's still in its package, if it's never opened, if it's never read, if it's never studied so that we can learn from it, so that we can apply its message to our lives. This is the how of following Jesus. And of course, there's much more to it that this leads us to do. But this is where we start to learn. What was Jesus' life like? How do we live like him? How do we learn from him? And then there's one thing we can do to even go beyond that. And that is not just filtering everything we think, say, and do through God's word, but then memorizing key passages of scripture so that we have a portable filter with us at all times. When I was hiking through China, through some mountains, there were no nearby cities or clean drinking water. And so what I had to take with me was a little filter, kind of like this, a little bit different, but I could get down into some rivers and I would pour my water through this filtered thing and what was a river that was teeming with all kinds of viruses and bacteria that would make me very, very sick went through this filter and became fresh drinking water that I had to rely on for many days. And so everywhere I went, I had clean, safe, fresh drinking water because I had a portable filter with me. When we memorize scripture, When we memorize God's word, it's like taking a portable filter with us everywhere we go because then every time we encounter a new situation, have to make a decision, we may not have the time to just go, let me just go study this for two hours and see what God's word has to say about it. Let me go ask 10 people and find out because there's a lot in there. If we've been studying it and if we've been memorizing it, then we start to get a filter kind of built in, a portable filter that we take with us. Sometimes people will ask me after a message, how on earth... Did you make that connection from this New Testament passage back to this Old Testament passage and then figure out that that was context that works with each other and then work that in there? Like, how do you know how these verses connect with each other? And I can honestly say most of that comes from Bible memorization. When I'm studying God's word, preparing for a message, it's it's triggering all sorts of memory verses that I learned mostly when I was a kid. And it takes me back to those memory verses and I realize, hey, wait a minute. Jesus is saying this. I remember something about that in Jeremiah. Let's go. Whoa, that does match. And then I go look at scholars to make sure I'm not way out of line and that, yes, there is a connection there. But that stuff starts from Bible memorization. When I was a kid, I went to Awana every Wednesday night and I learned hundreds of Bible verses through Awana. And then into my teenage years, I did another program. Very intentional Bible memorization. And the verses that I remember best today are the verses that I memorized when I was a kid. When we memorize scripture, I know it's not always easy to do, but when we memorize scripture, it's like taking a portable filter with us everywhere we go. Now, do I always filter perfectly? Thank you. (laughs) Appreciate that. Sadly, I do not. Because this is a never-ending process of refinement and improving my filter and learning to filter better. The reality is I think, say, and do stuff every day that does not align with Jesus. And that is the sad reality of this existence. I will never be perfect on this earth. And yet the journey of studying more and memorizing more and learning more so that it improves that filter in my mind means that on a regular basis, I'm continually getting better and better and better. Wiser and wiser in how I approach life because of God's word being, as the psalmist says, hidden in my heart. 
because it's in my mind. It's something that I'm meditating on. It's something that I'm, that I'm keeping in front of me every single day. And that's why every day we need to spend time in God's Word and we should be actively involved in memorizing it so that we have that portable filter to go with us. It actually is something that gives great, great satisfaction and purpose in my life. This pursuit of getting better and better. And every time I reflect on a day and I realize, that was stupid, it causes me to think, okay, I'll do better next time. I'll learn from this. What does God's Word have to say about this? How can I continue to grow and refine? It's a great, great giver of purpose to our lives. So we've looked at the what, we've looked at the how, let's now talk about the why. Why do we follow Jesus? And I can think of three really important reasons for this. There are a lot of approaches we could take to this. I decided on these three reasons to explain why we follow Jesus. Number one, it's because of who he is. We follow Jesus because of who he he is. There's this amazing conversation that happens with Jesus and his disciples when he's talking to them shortly before his death and he's explaining to them about what this is all going to look like. And we've actually studied this not long ago, so I'm just going to go through it quickly. It's in John chapter 14. If you want to turn there, you can look there in your your Bible app if you want to do that. John 14. Here's what it says. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Now notice a couple of things here. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Whenever, when everything is ready, I will come and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. And this may seem very cryptic, but what Jesus was communicating here was that he had a special relationship to God the Father. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I have a connection to God the Father and I can take you to be with him. This was a popular topic in this day. This was the pop culture discussion. Everyone wanted to know, how can I have eternal life? What is the way to eternal life? You actually hear this in many of the stories from the New Testament. What is the way to eternal life? It's what everyone was asking. And many teachers were trying to give answers to that. In fact, the Pharisees, that was, that was one of their deals. All these different groups were trying to answer the question of how can we be right with God? How can we have eternal life? How can we have entrance into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? How do I become part of that group, that elite club? And Jesus is saying here, I've got the key. I have access. And you know the way. Now that's a play on words, and we'll see that here in a minute. Thomas says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And here's the play on words. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is part of who Jesus is. Why do we follow him? Because of who Jesus is. He is the way, the way to God. He is the truth. All truth comes from him. He is the life. He is the source of life for us. He gives us life. But there's more to it than that. Jesus says, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. There's a connection there. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, wait a minute. Because you've seen me, you've seen him. This is what Jesus is saying. He's taking that connection one step further and saying, there's an equal relationship here. 
you've seen me, you've seen him. Philip still doesn't get it. He says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now that is very interesting because you might expect if you were one of these disciples to hear Jesus say, ask the Father for anything in my name and he will do it because I have this special connection with him. It's not what Jesus says. He says, ask for anything in my name and I will do it. I can hear your prayers. Jesus says, I can do anything. I am all powerful. Jesus here is equating himself with God. Why do we follow Jesus? It's because of who he is. He is God. He is one with the Father. Yes, there are distinct persons there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but Jesus is God. He is the way to God. He is the only way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we follow Jesus because of who we believe he is. Here's another reason we follow Jesus. We follow him because of what he offers. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Go to Matthew chapter 13. We follow Jesus because of what he offers. Remember the popular item to talk about of the day was eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. How do I get to be a part of that special club? I want to make sure I'm in that group. So Jesus is teaching about this and sharing. Remember, he's saying, I am the way. I am the way to do this. And in Matthew 13, there's a series of incredible parables Jesus tells to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this was a popular format. So a rabbi, a teacher would go around and would create these similar situations and say, this is like this. Or a popular way this came to be said was, to what can this be compared? And then they would give some kind of an illustration. So what would happen is someone would come to them with a question, a problem, and say, Rabbi, what should we do about this? And the rabbi would think and in his most sage-like voice say, to what can this be, uh, can, to what can this be compared? This is like a peach tree with a pit that fell off. And he'd come up with some analogy or something. And that would be his way of answering the question with some kind of an analogy, an illustration. So this is what Jesus is doing here. He's in uh, Matthew 13, verse 44. Verse 44, here's what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now, what is going on here? 
The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus is saying he gets entrance into. That relationship with God, that connection with God, that reigning with God, eternal life with God, all of that connection, close connection with God is wrapped up in what Jesus is saying, I am the way to do this. I am the way into the kingdom of heaven. This is what I am offering to you. And he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And this man found it. So he went out, was looking around. Maybe he was just walking through the property or maybe he was looking to buy something. And he's walking around and he all of a sudden stumbles across, whoa, there is a treasure buried in this ground that is worth more than I could earn in a lifetime. That's incredible. But no one else knows about this treasure. And the law says that whoever owns this property gets to keep this treasure. So I'm going to bury it. I'm going to cover it up so nobody else sees it. And then I'm going to go sell everything I have, my house, my donkeys, my extra clothes, everything else. I'm going to sell it all to get enough money to buy this piece of land because of the treasure that I know is hidden in it that's worth far more than anything I just gave up. Anything I could have sacrificed was nothing compared to what was in this treasure in the ground. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, have you ever watched those hidden treasure shows? Do you know what I'm talking about? Where somebody will come on and they'll give you this explanation of, of some amazing circumstance where a person bought a house and it was, it was 150 years old and they start renovating it and tearing apart the plaster and all of a sudden they find there's these amazing old paintings in the walls or something like that, you know? And this house that they paid $100,000 for has given them a, a $2 million paycheck kind of a thing. Anybody watch those? I think those are fascinating. There's some really interesting stories that come out of that. Back in 2004, a man found this record it says Velvet Underground on it, at a yard sale, and he bought it for 75 cents. It was an original demo, and he sold it for $25,000. It's a pretty good find. Anybody want to have something like that in your collection? In 1999, a man found a painting at a yard sale. He paid $29 for it. It was an original Martin Johnson Heed, and it sold for over $880,000. That's a pretty good payday. I'll take that. Back in 1989, someone bought a picture frame at a yard sale. They paid $4 for it. And it turned out to be holding inside of this picture frame, not visible, but in the back, as he pulled it apart to put something else in there, he found a very rare copy of the Declaration of Independence worth $2 million. This has actually happened twice. John Adams had a bunch of extra copies commissioned and spread around. And two times people have found those in some kind of a frame at a yard sale. Isn't that amazing? $4 turns into $2 million. Around the year 2000, a man found a collection of photographic negatives at a yard sale, and he haggled with the owner over them. The owner wanted $70. He got them down to 45 Not a bad deal, but he didn't have anything to do with them, so he stuck them in a shoebox under his bed for the next 10 years. And then he got them out and he said, I wonder if these are worth anything. So we had a photographic expert analyze these photographic negatives and they determined that they were in fact originals from Ansel Adams and this collection of photographs is worth over $200 million. He says he hasn't yet heard from the person who sold him the photographs but he's afraid he might. 
Now just imagine if you came across something like that. Imagine if you found a painting. Let's say you're at some kind of a sale. Maybe it's an estate sale or something. And you know a little bit about paintings. So you come across this painting and they're asking $50,000 for this painting. But you, because you've got a little bit of experience, you know that this is a rare painting that nobody's seen for like 100 years and it's worth over $250 million. And they're asking for $50,000. And so you decide that you are going to sell everything you have so that you can go buy that painting for $50,000 because you know that what that painting is actually worth is so much more than you could ever possibly earn in this lifetime. And let's say your net worth is $50,000. You go, you sell your house, you pay off your mortgage, you get all the equity out of that that you had, and you come and you bring that, you buy that painting for $50,000, and now you have a $250 million asset. Is that worth it? Is that worth it? But think about what you gave up. Think about what you had to leave behind. Think about your house that you loved, that you sold. Think about all of the assets that you had that you got rid of just so you could buy this one painting. Is it still worth it? Yes. Why? Because what you gained was so infinitely greater than what you gave up to get there. Here's the thing. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like, according to Jesus. Jesus says, that's how valuable this thing is that I'm offering to you. No matter what you give up, no matter what you have to put aside, no matter what you have to sacrifice, all of that stuff is nothing compared to what I am offering you. It's that big of a deal. And so there are people who don't follow Jesus who look at us and go, you guys are crazy. Why would you give up that stuff? Why wouldn't you do those fun things? Why would you live your life this way? Why would you have this kind of a lifestyle? Why would you not do all this other stuff? And the reality is that (laughs) the stuff that we give up in following Jesus is all a bunch of stuff that would just bring us pain and misery and consequences anyway. But the point Jesus is making is anything you sacrifice, everything you own is nothing compared to what you gain by following Jesus. We follow him because of who he is. We follow him because of what he offers. And finally, we follow him because of what he saves us from. If you're still in Matthew 13, just go down a couple of verses. You'll find verse 47. Jesus says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus says that there is a judgment coming. There is a time coming when the righteous and the wicked will be separated and the wicked will be thrown away into the fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a terrible place, a terrible experience, a terrible place to go. And Jesus is saying that is what's coming. That is the judgment that is coming. The righteous will be taken out. The wicked will be thrown into the fire. Now, don't you want to be in that first group? Don't you want to be among the righteous? Here's the problem. None of us are. 
None of us are righteous on our own. Every single one of us, the Bible says, are a sinner. We do bad things. We think bad thoughts. We say bad things. It's too late for you. You've already done it. You did it when you were four. We have all done and said bad things. I mean, we are no longer righteous. What are we going to do about this? What is the answer to this? Who can save us from this? And Paul, the Apostle Paul, gives us the answer. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without having to keep the requirements of the law, without having to be perfect. As was promised, this was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. We are made right with God by following Jesus. And so why do we follow Jesus? We follow him because of who he is. We follow him because of what he offers. And we follow him because of what he saves us from. And so the question for you and I today is this. Does our why affect our what? Will what you do tomorrow be impacted by the why we just talked about? You see, the gospel is not just for that one moment when we trusted in Jesus Christ. The gospel is something that should impact every day of our lives because of what Jesus did for us, for us because of who he is, because of what he saves us from, because of what he offers us. Every sacrifice we can make is nothing compared to that. And so we should live like him and learn from him and follow him in our lives. Our why is that important? Jesus is worth everything. Another way of saying that is Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of being followed. He is worthy of us following him. And that's why we follow Jesus. Now, will our what this week reflect our why? I'm going to close in prayer. And after our band comes up, our prayer counselors are going to come up after the song. And if this has raised questions for you, if you have have realized that maybe you're not following Jesus, or you have questions about that, you want to talk to someone, you need prayer for something, would you please come forward after we sing? And we would love to pray with you and answer any questions that you have. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you for giving us the gift of your Son who came here to save us and give us a gift so incredible, so beyond anything that we could ever earn or deserve. You have given it to us freely. And now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live that out in our lives, to remember every single day, every single hour, the sacrifice that you made for us, why you are worth following, to put into perspective all of the little things that distract us in this world and to remember that they are nothing compared to what you have given us. Help us to live out our why. And we pray this in your name. Amen.